title of today's message is Your Weapons in the Workplace. Might intrigue you a little bit, that title. And I want to begin our time by reading a relatively recent article from NBCNews.com which revealed the following. This is what it had to say. In more than half of the states in the U.S., an employer is legally required to let employees bring their guns to work and keep them in their parked cars. In Tennessee, where a new guns at work law went into effect in July of 2013, businesses, including FedEx and Volkswagen, voiced their opposition in testimony before state lawmakers. Similar legislation also kicked in over the summer in Illinois and Alabama, while other states are considering it. According to data from 2013 from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, just over 550 people are killed every year on average in work-related homicides, which includes guns as well as other weapons. In 2010, more than 10% of all workplace fatalities were homicides, 78% of which were shootings. That year, the most recent for which the Bureau of Labor Statistics has data, 405 people were shot and killed at work. It shares this, gun control advocates say permitting firearms at the workplace gives disgruntled, possibly unhinged employees easy access to a deadly weapon. Gun rights supporters say the provision protects workers who could be carjacked on a long commute. Business groups say the laws infringe on business, businesses' right to decide if they want a gun-free workplace, while human resource experts point out that the presence of guns, even if they're out in the parking lot and not next to the copier or coffee machine, create a liability and workplace security headache. I'm not sure what your position is on gun control, but my reason for sharing this illustration or this story is twofold. One, it's a reminder that we live in a lost and broken world. And when people show up at work, oftentimes they're bringing in the pains of life with them as they deal with problems and issues that surface in the workplace, in the home. And people are sinful. Whether they're at home, at work, or no matter where they're at. Number two, it should remind Christians that the workplace is a mission field filled with hurting and hopeless people. And God oftentimes places us specifically at a job so that we can be the ones who get the chance to minister to them when such problems arise in their lives. And think about it. Just about everyone has some type of employment over the course of their life. If you're currently working or if you're re retired or, excuse me, if you're currently not working or if you're retired, our text today will equip you to disciple others. Whether you're an elementary age student with a babysitting job, maybe you have the opportunity for a paper route. I don't even know if they still do those anymore. Or a teenager working in In-N-Out or Taco Bell. In-N-Out being my wife's preference for certain. 
Or perhaps you're an executive working for a Fortune 500 company. Did you know that God wants all Christian employees to bring their weapons into the workplace? The world certainly desires to bring theirs, but God specifically calls believers to arm themselves with spiritual weapons to have the greatest impact at work. And to see this, let's turn to Titus chapter 2 and read verses 9 and 10. And here is what it has to say. Reading from the NAS, Titus 2, verses 9 and 10. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. It was over two months ago that we started a sermon series that focused on these first ten verses of Titus chapter 2. And this practical passage of scripture has served us well, hasn't it? It's allowed us to see what our testimony is to look like in the church. And it covered all ages, both genders. Didn't matter what age or stage of life you're in. Titus 2, 1 through 10 has you covered. And this Sunday actually marks the 20th sermon that we've heard from Titus, the book of Titus. And almost half of those, this is the ninth sermon that has focused specifically on this passage. And today will be an opportunity for us to end our sermon series on this note by looking at the specific instruction that the Apostle Paul provides for Titus to share with those who serve as employees to their employers, or using terms from our passage, bond slaves to their masters. The title again is Your Weapons in the Workplace, and the proposition's in your notes. And our passage reveals two weapons to arm yourself with so that, so that God and the gospel will be exalted in your workplace. The first weapon is our first point, and it is your attitude of submission. And we're going to be answering four questions under this point. They're listed in your outline. Who is being called to submit? What does it mean to submit? To whom are you to submit? And to what degree should you submit? The second weapon will serve as our second point. And it's this, your ammunition of submissive actions. And our passage provides specific actions for you to take that allow your testimony at work to have the maximum impact for God and his purposes. And we're going to talk about what it means to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but rather showing all good faith. And why is this important? What end does it serve? Why should you care? Do you care? About your workplace. Why should you care? Our passage reveals this for us as well. It allows you to exalt Christ and the gospel to your boss, your fellow workers, and the watching world. Two weapons to arm yourself with so that you can exalt Christ and the gospel in your workplace. Weapon number one is your attitude of 
submission. And as we answer these four questions together, you're going to quickly notice that some of the answers to these questions are longer than others. But all of them are intended to arm us. The first question, which is letter A under point one, who is being called to submit? Look at the beginning of verse 9. Paul writes, Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything. And the word urge, if you have the ESV, you won't see it, but it's supplied by the NAS translation because it's intended to bring imperatival force to the instruction that Paul is giving to Titus. And so technically, the first word in the verse is bond slaves or bond servants. And it's the same word that Paul uses in a metaphorical sense to introduce himself back in verse 1-1. He describes himself as a bondservant of God. But here the word is used literally to speak of servants or workers. And in modern terms, it's talking about employees. So this answers our first question. Our first question. Employees are the ones being called to submit. Unless, of course, you're self-employed, it is common for most employees to have someone whom they answer to at work. And this leads us to our second question. What does it mean to submit? Verse 9 continues. Urge employees to be subject. This is a word that should be familiar to us because if you look back in the middle of verse 5, here Paul had just finished exhorting Titus to urge the older women to teach the younger women to be subject to their own husbands. And now he uses the exact same verb for employees. And you may recall from our study in verse 5 that this compound Greek word uh, made up of two words, one means translated is under and the other one is to appoint. So when we're talking about a literal expression of this word, we're talking about what it means to appoint or to order under. So depending on your translation, it could be translated being subject, submissive, or obedient. And if you'll recall, it was a military word, right? It it was reflective of uh, soldiers coming underneath the command or underneath the authority of their commander in the military, And this is the gospel weapon, the first gospel weapon that the Lord would have you bring into your workplace. This verb reflects the ongoing abiding attitude of submission. We spent an entire sermon on Titus 2.5, if you remember, defining submission. And so to answer our question today, what does it mean to submit It will serve us to briefly review our four defining aspects, which I included in your bulletin for you. And of course, you're welcome to go back and get, listen to that whole message. If you weren't here for it, I would encourage you to do so because it really helps us grasp the full orb of what it means to submit as a Christian and the various roles that God has placed in our lives. The words are right there for you. They are self, stance, service, and sacrifice. The first aspect of submission is self. And by self, we're referencing what it means to appoint oneself under an authority. In this instance, it happens to be employees under their bosses. In order to submit, we need to have a proper view of self. 
and consider the roles of submission that God has ordained for our lives. Who has God called you to submit yourself under? Well, the the very first call is the gospel call. We're called to submit ourselves under the supreme authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. An accurate view of Christ's authority as the Lord of our lives allows us to accurately understand the other expressions of authority that God calls us to submit to. And that's whether it's your parents, whether it's the police, whether it's a government official, whether it's the elders in your local church. There are other authorities that God has established for the Christian life. And not only did God ordain these authorities, but he has called Christians to arrange oneself under them accordingly. And today God's word is instructing all Christian employees to arrange yourself under the authority of your boss or superiors at work. So it begs the question, how do you view yourself in relationship to the authority of your boss? Do you see yourself as a servant of Christ and a servant of your boss in the workplace? Or is it just simply a a clock in and clock out attitude in the workplace like it is for so many in the world right it's just it's just a means to an end it's just about that paycheck it's about that check that comes on friday and nothing more when christians bring an attitude of submission to work it involves having a ministry mindset and we'll see this develop as we progress The second defining aspect of submission is your stance. And this relates to your attitude towards those whom God has called you to arrange yourself under. Your stance towards your boss. And last time we discussed submission, we looked at 1 Peter 2, verses 13 and 17, because it allowed us to see how honor and how respect plays an integral part of submission our stance or how we view an authority impacts our willingness to submit to that authority in our lives and i shared this with you if you struggle to respect or you struggle to honor someone you will always struggle to submit to them and if you'll recall i even gave some advice on on what you could do three three specific ways that you could um, help yourself. One is if you struggle to respect or honor an authority. One is to focus on the things that they're currently doing well. Dwelling on the things that they don't do well is not going to help the situation. And it's not going to help your attitude of submission. It won't. And we've got to keep in mind that though God isn't specifically commanding us to honor the the person or the character of the person which could be terrible by the way not making excuses but it's a sin-filled world we're called to respect or honor the authority that god has granted to that person okay one of the ways you can do is focus on the things that they're doing positive a second way that i mentioned is that you can be mindful to, uh, to, 
the fact that leading is hard, okay? Be mindful of the fact that being in a leading position is not easy. And I shared that a little grace goes a long way. It truly does. And the third thing that I had shared that you want to be mindful of is that God has sovereignly ordained that you, you, employee, are placed under their submission or to be, to be submissive to them as a boss. God's ordained it. And due to our sin nature, what we, we, it rises up within us. Nobody likes being told what to do. Nobody. But when we see God's sovereign hand in the placement of our roles, it can help us to stay focused on the end result, which is to exalt Christ and the gospel in our workplace. Well, there's a third aspect of submission, and it's your service. Building on the proper view of self and stance, submission progresses into action or expressions of service. And we see this progression right here in our text today. Verse 9 starts with a call of submission before the remaining part of the verse, along with the beginning of verse 10, describe what it should look like in the quality of our service. Serving really reflects the heartbeat of submission. When an authority asks us to do something, so long as it doesn't honor the Lord, true submission responds with action. And Christ demonstrated this for us. And I shared this when we, in, in the last sermon, that when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was praying, he said, Father, not my will, not my will be done, but your will be done. It was, a, it was an outpouring of, in prayer of his submission coming underneath the mission of the Father. And we talked about what it led him to do. Mark 10, 45. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but he came to serve. And submission involves service in our Lord's life and example Help us to see this aspect clearly. When we are armed with an attitude of submission, we are primed to serve others. Do you see your submission as an opportunity for ministry and service to others? God wants you to see your job as a ministry opportunity. I'll tell you straight up. He wants you to have a mindset that your job is one of your ministries. It is. God wants you to take advantage of it so that the gospel is exalted, that his son is exalted, but it first must start with your attitude. When Christians engage in submission, it involves a proper view of self. It involves a proper stance. It involves a heart of service. And the the fourth aspect is this. It involves sacrifice. It involves sacrifice because our sin nature and our selfishness are going to wage war against that new creation within us. There's going to be a battle taking place. It's going to fight, and we're not going to submit naturally. It's divine. We're inclined, are we not, to serve our own interests and our own purposes. It's the way that sin has hardwired us. 
And yet the Holy Spirit calls us and allows us to be enabled to enter into the role of submission. Only a gospel converted heart can magnify Christ in the workplace as we follow his example both of service and sacrifice. And our Lord appointed himself under the purpose of the Father and it involved sacrifice in his submission. And we'll celebrate that as we celebrate communion later in our service. Submission always costs us something. And Christ enables us to die to self and to pay, pay that price to make sacrifices for the sake of others. And he spelled it out clearly for us in Philippians 2, how he emptied himself in humility of mind. He regarded others as more important than himself. And this led him to make the ultimate sacrifice, which again, we'll celebrate at the end of our service. But we need to see that submission always involves some level of sacrifice. What does it mean to submit? The defining aspects of self, stance, service, and sacrifice help us to answer this question definitively. Definitively. Well, there's a third question under our first point, and it's marked by letter C. To whom should you submit? Verse 9 continues. Urge employees to be subject to their own masters. Just like in verse 5, if you recall when, in that message, it, the designation, and that word could actually mean man uh, or men in plural, but it was to their own, right? That's where the emphasis is. It's to, uh, in verse 5, to their own husbands. And here for slaves or employees, it's not a call to slave owners in general, but to their own master. Although it needs to be said that in today's corporate environment, practically this could mean answering to more than one boss. And some of you in the room even have entire boards that you answer to, which includes multiple people. A master or a boss is anyone signed, assigned a position of authority over you in the workplace. And so it's possible to have multiple supervisors or superiors depending on the field in which you work. But the point remains the same. If they have been granted that position of authority in your life, then you need to submit to them. But Pastor John, but what if they're unreasonable? What if they're unjust? What if they're unfair? What happens if it appears that they really don't even like me very much? Or they intentionally do things to make things hard on me? Or at 4.30, just when I think I'm free and done for the day and 5 o'clock's approaching, they come and they bring another stack of work and lay it right on your desk, right before you're about to leave. What do you do? How do you respond? I want you to turn with me to 1 Peter 2. You need to see this. Turn, turn to 1 Peter 2. Verse 18, and this is what it shares. Servants, same, same word, bond servants, bond slaves, servants, douloi. Be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those 
who are unreasonable. Wow. It was only moments ago, right, that we just saw in the defining aspect of submission that it will involve sacrifice. And there are going to be some of you who get blessed to work for a Christian boss and praise the Lord, right? And hopefully your experience is going to be that they're good and gentle in the workplace. But considering the reality of how few Christians there truly are in this world, considering the reality of all the secular jobs out there, it's going to be very probable, right, that you're going to end up working for someone who is unreasonable, who is unfair, The question is, are, and that could be your case right now. That could be where some of you are at right now. But I have a question for you. Are you armed with your attitude of submission? And 1 Peter 2, 19 and 20, if you continue reading, offers some great encouragement if you're still there. It says, this, this is what God is saying when you're armed with your attitude of submission. This is what God's word says. For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do it, when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently for if you, I'm sorry, but if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. I actually snuck a little bit of the ESV translation in there right there. It threw me off, okay? But I'm, I'm working, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm growing on both translations, okay? I want to use them both. What's the point? What's the point? I mean, if you sin and you're responsible and you drop the ball and you get treated harshly, I mean, that, it could be expected, especially from an unbeliever. But if you're doing everything right, if you're honoring the Lord with your submission, and yet they still come at you time and time again, they still pull jabs, they still pull punches. It finds favor with God. It finds favor with God when, when you still respond in a way that is submissive. Okay? Verse 21 even goes on to say that for you have been called for this purpose before it sets the stage for Christ's ultimate example for us to follow. What a praise. What an opportunity. What a ministry opportunity. I, I'm being dead serious that you would have an unreasonable boss. Why? Because you, you can shine. You can, your light can shine before them in such a way that is, is unique and and different than, than the person who has got the Christian boss, right? It's such a great opportunity to exalt Christ and the gospel. Well, there's one final question that we need to answer under our first point. It's letter D under point one, and it asks, to what degree should you submit? Look at how verse nine continues. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything. And while submission is restricted to one's own master, it is opened up and it says in, in everything. It does involve everything. And one commentator said this, quote, the expression in everything would of course not include those matters a master or employee 
might lay upon a slave which would require them to sin against the Lord. But all things short of this do appear to be included. End quote. Everything means everything. Unless, of course, it's leading you to sin. So right about now you could be asking yourself, well, Pastor John, what does this look like practically in my workplace? If I'm in this situation, what does this look like? Well, our second weapon and our second point will help us to see this. Our passage reveals two weapons to arm yourself with so that you can exalt Christ and the gospel in your workplace. And the first weapon is your attitude of submission. Your second weapon is your ammunition of submissive actions. And there's some overlap here with our spiritual weapons. I wanted to provide an illustration for you today, so I brought in a physical weapon. And um, this is a real weapon. This is a 12-gauge shotgun. Okay, It's licensed to me. And this is what four years of living in North Carolina will do to you. All right? No, I grew up shooting guns, um, mainly targeting, uh, shooting at targets. Not um, a big hunter, per se, but definitely uh, grew up hunting. And I, I brought this in because I wanted you to see this. So important to see. In fact, I forgot something. Yeah, and you can rest assured that I made sure that this gun was unloaded one or two hundred times, okay? I want to make sure, okay, right there, right there. It's un- un- unloaded, okay? And you always keep it pointed up, and you never point a, uh, even an unloaded gun at somebody. Good rule for your kids. <laughs> Our kids. Actually, this comes in handy when you have two beautiful daughters, because you know some young man's going to come someday and say, um, sir, would it be okay if I pursue your daughter for the sake of marriage? And I'll be like... Well, we need to talk about this. <laughs> um, in all seriousness, this, this, this is the gun, right? But without ammunition, how much effect can it have? I could go hunting deer with this t- thing tomorrow or go to the target range, right? With, with this gun, without ammunition and how effective would I be? I mean, I, I'm not that fast. I'm not going to run down a deer. And even if I snuck up on one, well, I might be able to use the stock, right, and use it as a weapon. It's still a weapon. Or maybe throw a shell, like, as hard as I could. Might be able to break down a, a, a skeet that they, they launch or throw it at a bird, right? The point is this. The ammunition working in conjunction, right, when the, the, these two separate weapons work together, what? That's where the power is. I put one of these shells in this, this gun, and I pull this trigger, what happens? There's power released. And this is just one example. It could be a bow with an arrow. It could be a, a, a sling with a shot, a, a pebble, right? The ammunition overlaps with our weapons, And without ammunition, our first weapon alone isn't going to be very effective. Just like 
a slingshot without a stone. Just like a bow without an arrow. A submissive attitude without ammunition isn't going to make very much of an impact. Submissive actions flowing out of that weapon? Now we're talking. Submissive attitude plus submissive actions are the way to exalt Christ and the gospel. And the end of verse 9 and the beginning of verse 10 offer Christian employees some serious and practical ammunition. The first round of ammunition is letter A under our second point, and it's this. Be well-pleasing. Look at the end of verse 9. It says, urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything to be well-pleasing. And I really need you to track with me here because in, in the Greek, this is, there's two words that are being represented here. One is an infinitive verb, which is to be, and then the other one is an adjective, which is translated well-pleasing. It is used by Paul eight of its nine times in the New Testament. And check this out. The word describes that which is acceptable or pleasing and it is always, listen to this, it is always in reference to God. Throughout the New Testament. One commentator said this, it would be possible to understand the meaning here to be what is well-pleasing to a slave's master, but given, given its consistency of usage in the New Testament, it seems clear it's referring here not to a slave's earthly master, but to his heavenly Lord. When I was studying this perspective, it really started to make more sense, especially after I cross-referenced Colossians 3, verses 22 and 24, and, I, and I'll read it for you, but I want to encourage you to go look at that passage at a later point when you have some time. Colossians 3, 22 through 24 reads as follows. It says, bond servants, same word, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Wow. What is our takeaway here? God needs to be our focus while we're at work. We need to fulfill our labors of submission with him in mind. An unreasonable or unjust or unfair boss should not be a deterrent for us. It shouldn't impact the quality of our work because God is the one, he's the one who we're fixed on serving. And so how can you be well-pleasing to the Lord? Look at the ammunition that his word offers to us. Our second round of ammo is, is right there. Don't be argumentative. Look at the end of verse 9. Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters and everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative. And this compound Greek word literally means to speak against or can be translated to talk back, to argue, to contradict, 
to oppose. And just as slaves were not allowed to talk back to their masters in Paul's day, here modern employees can exalt Christ in the gospel by not disputing their commands or by deliberately resisting your boss's instructions, seeking to thwart their will. Again, our attitude of submission should be fueling our actions in submission. Our weapons are connected. And I want to take a moment just to offer some shepherding uh, counsel for those who might be a little bit offset with your boss in the workplace. Or maybe you're, maybe you're not the subordinate. Maybe you're the boss. Okay? Maybe they, they submit to you. It is very probable that you could be in a relationship that you're offset with somebody. Could it just even be a coworker? Can I shepherd you? Go to them. Go to them. Own, own what you, you can own. Own your poor communication. If you've communicated poorly or you've been inconsistent or you've maybe lacked consideration or maybe you didn't really lack consideration, you, they just perceive that you lack consideration, just, just own it. Go and, and speak to them. Don't highlight the things that they have done wrong, but just let them know that your heart is to serve them better with how you communicate and how you interact with them. Proverbs 16.21 says, The wise in heart will be called understanding, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Christian employees are to be characterized by self-control in the use of their tongues. And that means that they're not to talk back to the person who is giving them their instructions, especially their bosses, to be cheeky, to be rude, or complaining when told to do something. And God requires that we not only do the work that is set before us, but that we do it in the right spirit, that we have the right attitude in which those actions flow out of. Philippians 2.14 also commands believers, do all things without grumbling or disputing. How would your coworkers, or better yet, how would your boss describe you as an employee? Are you easy to work with? Or would you be described as someone who is pretty critical or grumbles a lot? Again, the, the Lord already knows the answer, okay? But the hope is that your testimony will be an encouraging one that exalts Christ and the gospel in the workplace, that they're going to want to ask you about your faith. They're going to see the difference in you compared to the worldly employees that are there. They'll want to know more about this relationship that you have with God. Well, our third round of ammo under point two is letter C. Don't be pilfering. Look at the beginning of verse 10. It says, not pilfering. Straightforward. And in Paul's day, petty theft was pretty common among the slaves who worked in some households. They were able to get away with a lot. It was easy for many to steal from the supplies of their masters without being detected. And the same can be said in many workplaces today. 
Christian employees should not be stealing from the workplace. And the only other time that this word is used in the New Testament is in Acts 5 in reference to two people, Ananias and Sapphira. If you're somebody not familiar with that story, we can't look at it now because we don't have the time. But they sold a field and they were supposed supposed to give a portion of that field to the Lord and they withheld it. They didn't give it. And what happened to them? The Lord killed them on the spot. The Lord killed them on the spot. And it wasn't about the money. It was about the principle. The Lord made a strong example out of them because it's such a poor testimony. And he would have us see it. The application is pretty straightforward. Do you want to ruin your testimony in your workplace? Start stealing from your company. And it's so, it can happen so easily. It starts with a pen and a pencil. And then it's not just a staple. I, need, I could really use a pack of staples at home. Before you know it, your printer is out of paper at, at, at home. So you take a, a stack of paper from work. And then you know what you're doing? Then you're making your family Christmas cards on the company copier. And before you know it, you'll be making expenses that you'll justify, personal expenses on your company credit card that are unapproved. Don't do it. Don't do it. Even if other employees are doing it, don't you be that testimony. Don't allow yourself to fall into this temptation. Keep your integrity intact so that Christ and the gospel can be exalted in your workplace. Our fourth and final round of ammo is under point number two, and it's letter D, show all good faith. And after Paul gives us two consecutive negative requirements and how we can be pleasing to the Lord in our workplace by not being argumentative, And not pilfering, he offers us a positive requirement, which you can see in the middle of verse 10. It says, but, but showing all good faith. In the Greek, this is the strongest adversative possible. Okay? Don't be argumentative. Don't be pilfering instead, but rather, in contrast, showing all good faith. Christian slaves in Paul's day had a positive duty which was to show that they can be fully trusted by demonstrating good faith in their whole relationship to their masters. They were not only to be Christians, but they were to be actively showing this by proving themselves dependable in everything or beneficial to their masters. Good naturally excluded any wrongdoing in which their master might order participation what one commentator had to say. Well, our time has disappeared, but if we did have time, I would encourage you, and you can write this down as an example, the example of an Old Testament slave by the name of Joseph back in Genesis 39. You can go read it, and it's extraordinary because his brother sold him into slavery. He was picked up. He had every reason to be negative, critical, rebellious. And what's he do? 
By God's grace, he was able to establish such a testimony in his workplace that that Potiphar, the officer, soon put him in charge of everything at work, including all the affairs of his house, and it says that he only concerned himself with the things that he ate. What a testimony. And here Paul exhorts Titus so that Christian slaves on the island of Crete would bear a similar character and testimony. Their masters should be able to rely upon them to be honest and conscientious workers. And this is the will of God for Christian employees today. No less standard is demanded demanded for us today. Whatever the position we occupy, whether we're the bathroom attendant or the parking lot attendant on the, the lowest floor, or whether we're a senior manager with executives up on the highest floor, we should show ourselves to be fully trustworthy. There should be no doubt as to our honesty and commitment to doing our job well. And why do we do it? And why do we do it? What is the bullseye of your submission as a Christian employee? Verse 10 finishes by saying it this way, so that they, it's really you, the slaves, so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. And here Paul undergirds a slave's ethical work with a profound spiritual motive. So that in every way, this is what this is saying, they will make the teaching about God our Savior. You will make the teaching about God our Savior real in your workplace. They will see the difference in you. And it's going to be attractive and for a Christian employee, there can be no higher motive. And I talked about what this word adorn meant in, in a previous sermon. It's, it's the word cosmeo, and it's where we get our English word cosmetics. It derives from that. And the point is this. What is most beautiful to God and most pleasing to him isn't the uniform that you put on for work. It's not the suit and tie. It's not the pretty dress. It's not the makeup and hair. It's not anything external. He wants you to be clothed in Christ and the gospel so that he can be put on display in your workplace. The world... The world will go ahead and continue to fight on whether or not they can bring their physical weapons into the workplace. And they can have at it. But what about you, my friend? Are you going to be armed with your spiritual weapon of a submissive, submissive heart attitude and ammunition loaded with actions. Well, in just a few moments, the worship team's going to come up and we're going to prepare our hearts actually to celebrate communion during the service rather than the second hour. So this is a different transition for us because we normally have communion during the second hour, but we're actually going to have it during the service. 
But just as we reflect, and we want to be reflecting really on, on maybe the areas that we've fallen short, and praise God, praise God that it's covered in grace. Praise him that we have the opportunity to go to him in Christ through the gospel to be, to be cleansed, to be forgiven. And maybe it's something that's taken place in your work. Maybe it's in, in your home, whatever it is. If you're offset with somebody and there's a breach with somebody within the church, then we need to instruct you that you would let this celebration pass you. And for those that are joining us as guests, we want to let you know that the celebration of communion is for believers. And if you're not a believer today, then you should not participate in this celebration. But let me share some good news with you. You can be. You can be. Today can be the day of salvation for you. Today you can, you're either in Christ or you're not. And the Bible lets us know that there are no in-between options. You are either all in or you're not. You have either turned from living from this world and turned to living for Christ. There's no middle ground. And today can be that day. Is God drawing you to himself through repentance? For those of us in the room that he's done that work in our life, we rejoice. And this is such a privilege to celebrate this. If you're someone here today and you've never fallen on your face and you've never asked God for his forgiveness and said, God, I'm done with my life. I see other people. Maybe it's even been somebody who's been a testimony in your workplace. And I want what they got because it's not natural. I see their heart has been changed and I want what they have that can be yours today. All you have to do is ask. All you have to do is ask. Well, please pray with me and then we'll spend some time. Worship team, if you come up, um, Lisa, if you're on the keys, if you could just play some music. Let's take some uh, time. We can kill the lights a little bit and, and just reflect and prepare our hearts to celebrate communion together. Please pray with me. Father, in all things, we want to acknowledge you and let you know that we're so grateful for the gift of grace in our lives that has been established through Christ and the gospel. And yet, with that stewardship, with that responsibility, you have given us opportunities to serve you so that you can be put on display in our lives. And one of the ways that it can be taking place is at work, in our daily grind, in our daily struggle at the office, that your work in our hearts and in our minds and in our thinking can put you on display. And Lord, we want to acknowledge where we've fallen short, where we haven't been faithful, And for those of us that can look around in our workplaces and see people who are hurting and they're hopeless and they need you, would you make us prayerful for them, full of prayer on their behalf? Would you allow us to pursue open doors that you open up to have conversations about you and about our faith?
And Father, would you allow us to proclaim the good news to them? Would you allow us to be bold with the words that they so desperately need to hear? And Father, I just thank you for this privilege of being in a church family where there are so many who have made and continue to make such great impacts in their workplace. I pray that you'll continue to bless their efforts as well. And so now as we spend the next few moments reflecting and preparing our hearts, would you allow us to honor you and to give you thanks and praise for this celebration that we're about to partake of. We ask your hand of favor upon it. In Jesus' name, amen.